Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today is Q&A Tuesday, so we are going to just, well, I have already just called through the top five questions that I got in my DM box on Instagram this past week and picked out some to talk to you about. We are going to talk about newborns and the witching hour. We are going to talk about 15-month-olds and two naps versus one. We are going to talk about early morning wake-ups. The last of those is probably the bane of your existence as a parent and maybe the bane of my existence as a sleep consultant, early morning wake-ups. They can be so tough to overcome, but it is achievable. It's often a phase. There are some ways we can get around it. So let's dive into today's episode and talk about all this stuff. First of all, 10-week-old. My daughter is 10 weeks old. She's a super happy baby and she sleeps and eats well. She's also been having six to 10 hour stretches at night. So generally pretty awesome. However, the evenings between 6 and 10 p.m. are a total nightmare. She seems to really want to sleep, but is super agitated and seems to really be fighting it. Thank you for any ideas you might have. That is the question I got. This is the witching hour and it's still happening with 10-week-olds very commonly. So if you haven't heard about the witching hour, it is generally something we see in babies in the newborn weeks and months where the evening hours from often around just this 5, 6 o'clock to 9, 10 o'clock are really tough. Baby has had a big, big day. No matter what you've done with them, whether it was to you seemingly a calm day or a big eventful day with lots of errands or lots of visitors, no matter what happened in the day, it's really stimulating to a 10-week-old or a four-week-old. And by the end of the day, by those evening hours, you know, five, six o'clock, we're really not ready to go to bed for the night yet as a newborn, but we're really, really cranky, overtired, overstimulated, really agitated. And this is where the witching hour comes from. I don't know why anybody ever named it the witching hour, because in my experience, it does not last for an hour. It lasts for hours. It's usually several hours of just extreme crankiness, fussiness, crying. The best way to get around this is with sleep. And if you are sitting there thinking, I already knew that, Erin, but I can't get my baby to sleep in their crib at this time. I get it. And this is why the answer to this mama's question and the answer in general that I have to solve the witching hour is get your baby some sleep the best way you can in a very safe and healthy way, but don't stress about a nap happening in the crib at this point. If you have a newborn who's experiencing that witching hour, let yourself and your baby go get some fresh air. The fresh air in itself can help calm your baby, reset your baby, go for a stroll, go for a long walk with your baby in an infant carrier or a wrap. Your baby is much more likely to fall asleep in that scenario at that difficult time of day than they are in a bassinet or a crib. So I wouldn't stress, even if you are really trying to focus on independent sleep skills in these early weeks and months, By the end of the day, it's tough and getting your baby some rest really kind of trumps everything else that you might be working on because we don't want them to go to bed for the night overtired by the time they do go to bed. So we want to get that evening rest in. So, you know, for a 10-week-old, we're only having around an hour of awake time, hopefully, before we are napping again. 
We're having an hour of awake time in the day between each of our sleeps. So say your 10-week-old has woken up from a nap around 4.30 p.m. Well, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes later when they're due for sleep again, that's 5.30, 5.45. It is too early for bedtime for a newborn. But we're also not just stretching from 4.30 until 8 or 9 p.m. without any sleep and putting your baby down because then they're going to be really overtired for their bedtime, for the night. And overtiredness at bedtime often leads to a lot of overnight issues. So instead, if my baby woke up at 10 weeks of age around 4.30 from a nap, I would go for a nice long walk around 5.30, quarter to 6. I would go outside or if outside's not possible because it's pouring rain, then I would, you know, wander around the house with the wrap or the carrier, but go out for a stroll, go for a walk in the carrier, get your baby some rest if you can that way. Again, you're likely to be more successful with rest that way at that time of day. Get your baby some sleep, hopefully 45 minutes to an hour or so, then do another hour, hour 15 minutes of awake time, and then it will be your baby's bedtime. And hopefully, not only will you have gotten through those tough evening hours with less fuss because your baby was sleeping for some of it and also not overtired, but then you hopefully also have a better bedtime when bedtime does roll around because your baby's not going down overtired. So that's how I would handle those witching hours for this 10-week-old. Next question is about a 15-month-old. Hey, Erin, I have a 15-month-old and recently she has been taking 30 to 45 minutes to fall asleep for her second nap of the day. Her wake windows in the day are three hours, then three and a half, then three and a half. The first nap, no issues, falls asleep right away for an hour and a half. And bedtime, no issues, goes to sleep right away. It's just that second nap that's the issue. Any recommendations? Thanks. Absolutely, I have a recommendation for this, and you may have already heard me talk about this if you are an avid listener of Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep podcast, because if you are, you know that I recommend we cap the morning nap of a child this age at an hour. This is a super common question that I get. My 11-month-old, my 13-month-old, my 15-month-old, really my baby who's between about 11 and 16 months is having trouble with their second nap and their first nap is still an hour and a half to two hours. That is the issue. An eight-month-old can have a two-hour nap in the morning and still be tired enough to have another easy nap three hours later in most cases. A 15-month-old still needs two naps in the day but needs more of what we call sleep pressure to go down for their second nap than say an eight-month-old. So If you are at this age with your baby, I really recommend that if you're seeing troubles with that second nap, the solution is not to automatically cut one of your child's naps and drop to one nap a day. The solution first is usually to cap that morning nap at an hour and then give your three and a half hours of awake time and then do the second nap. And you are probably going to see your 15 month old go down with a lot more ease for that second nap because you've created some additional sleep pressure. We have loads of step-by-step information on this kind of scheduling issue in our 11 to 18 month sleep guide at thehappysleepcompany.com. So you can check that out if you need more step-by-step advice, but that's the kind of stuff we cover. Those little nuances that can make a really big difference in that age range. Third question for today, any tips for a newly three-year-old struggling in his big boy bed? He was a fantastic crib sleeper since he was four months old, but about a month ago, he started climbing out of his crib and now he refuses his naps in his big kid bed and wakes up all hours of the night screaming unless I go and sleep in his bed with him. Any advice? Yes, I do. I've got advice. It's a wake-up clock and it is some age-appropriate rewards and consequences. 
A wake-up clock, if you haven't heard me talk about that before, is really a visual representation for your child that it's time to go to sleep and be quietly in your bed, or it's time to get up and start the day. So the grow clock is a really common one that families use, or the hatch. You can set it to turn blue, for example, or red if you're using the hatch, when it is time for your child to be climbing into bed at night and quietly going to sleep. And you can set it to be, say, yellow at 6 a.m. or beyond when it's okay for your child to get up and start calling out or getting out of his bed. The issue is I do find a lot of parents only use the wake-up clock to deal with early morning wake-ups, and they forget that the wake-up clock can, and in my opinion, should be used for the bedtime, the overnights, and the early morning wake-ups. Because the concept of the clock is, it's not just that you can have a huge tantrum at bedtime, run out of your room 14 times throughout the night, but then you happen to be in your bed when the clock turns yellow at 6 a.m. so you get a prize. The concept is you stay in your bed the whole night quietly working on sleeping because that's what the nighttime is for, is getting healthy rest. I do recommend parents really don't look at using this kind of clock until their child is a minimum of two and a half years old. And really, I do find it's more successful closer to three, even upwards of three and a half. Because the older your child is and the better their comprehension level is and the higher their reasoning skills are, the more they're going to understand the concept of this visual representation and the more if they don't just adhere to the rules of the clock, you can implement some age-appropriate rewards and consequences to motivate them to listen to the clock, to stay in their bed once you've tucked them in, to stay in their bed throughout the night, and to stay in their bed until the clock is yellow. We have a blog on our website, a blog post about this, so you can check out more information, but that would be my first step with a child this age who's kind of struggling in their big kid bed and putting some motivation around staying in that bed. Next question for today is about a seven-month-old. My youngest is seven months. We have her falling asleep independently for all naps and bedtime. She gets great naps, two every day for an hour and a half each. She's in bed by 6.30 p.m. and falls asleep no problem. She usually wakes up around midnight and wants to feed, wondering if you have any tips for getting rid of night feeds. My first daughter slept 12 hours from three months old, so this is new territory for me. Okay, there's a few things to talk about here. First one is that last sentence. My first daughter slept 12 hours from three months, and so this is new territory for me. Don't compare. I know it's so hard. I know it's so hard not to compare when you have siblings and you feel like you're doing all the same things with one that you did with the other, but the newest sibling, the youngest sibling, the most recent arrival to your family is not responding the same as their older sibling did. But the thing is, they're different kiddos. They may have come from the same two parents, but they are different children and they are not necessarily going to respond to all things the same. Very commonly, they are most certainly not going to. One might like certain foods better than the other. One might take to solids easier than the other did. One might take to sleep coaching easier than the other did or start sleeping through the night faster than the other did. And that could be the same for two strangers or two siblings because they're not the same child. So try not to compare because I do find it really stresses parents out when they feel like they're doing all the same stuff they used to do, but their child's just not responding and then they feel like they're doing something wrong. So 
The other thing I want to talk about is the schedule for this child. This child is seven months old. I normally find that a child who's only just seven months, at least up until seven and a half months, and often up until eight months or later, does better with a three-nap schedule than a two-nap schedule. Because on a two-nap schedule, this child has to have a lot of awake time in the day to get to a 6.30 bedtime, which is what this mom said she's doing. So on a three-nap schedule, we can make the wake windows a little shorter and then offer the child a bedtime that's maybe a little later. It might be closer to 7, 7.30, even 8 p.m., but your child doesn't get as overtired in the day. Once a child is seven and a half, eight plus months, they normally can handle all the awake time that comes along with a two-nap schedule without getting overtired. And then we don't see as many issues with this. But if this child is just seven months and already only having two naps a day, they may be getting really overtired by their bedtime and overtiredness at bedtime can often cause overnight wake-ups. So that's something to keep in mind. But the final thing I want to talk about is this mom's question of she'll usually wake around midnight and want to feed, wondering if you have any tips to get rid of night feeds. If your child is seven plus months, a really healthy weight, on a proper growth curve, your doctor or healthcare provider has not expressed any concerns about their weight, I would suggest they're good to go with going through the night without a feed. Certainly, that's always something you can check in with your own individual healthcare provider before you remove overnight feeds, but this mom sounds like she's ready. She just doesn't know how. So the thing is, this is sleep coaching. This is where we talk about teaching baby how to not just go into their crib awake and fall asleep independently, but how to go from awake to back to sleep independently in the middle of the night. So sleep coaching isn't just about putting your baby down awake for naps and having them fall asleep independently or putting your baby down for bedtime and having them fall asleep independently. It's helping them learn how to fall back to sleep independently 30 minutes into a nap or five hours into their nighttime sleep as well. So that is something to keep in mind. So for this parent, there's two things I would say about sleep coaching. One, if she ever had to do any sleep coaching prior to this to get her seven-month-old to be able to fall asleep independently for naps and bedtime as she is. Go back to that. Look at what sleep coaching methods or strategies that you used previously to get independent nap time and bedtime sleep for your seven-month-old and consider, were you comfortable with those strategies? Are you confident in those strategies? They seem to have worked for your baby. So maybe take a look at those and implement those overnight to respond to overnight wake-ups with whatever that sleep coaching strategy was, but not with a feed if you are ready to remove the overnight feed. If this child has just always gone down on their own for naps and bedtime without this parent having to do any sleep coaching and she's really just embarking on sleep coaching for the first time, then I would say do some research and educate yourself about what the different methods and strategies are and then decide what you're comfortable with and confident in. One strategy might be like a sit-in-the-room approach where when baby wakes and we know we're not going to do an overnight feed anymore, we go and we're with baby, but we don't do the feed. We stay the whole time perhaps and we offer words, we offer touch, we pick baby up for a hug if they need a hug, but we really try to find a balance in not being overly stimulating and not lulling your baby to sleep. But we're there for them, we reassure them while they're going through this big change. If a family feels like maybe that's going to be too stimulating for their child, maybe we choose a timed check-in approach instead. So you wait, 
you decide how long you're comfortable waiting. Then you go and you check in on your little one in the middle of the night. You offer them support. You make sure they can hear your voice and feel your touch. And then you leave and you decide again, how long am I comfortable waiting before I go back in? I do recommend families pick a consistent amount of time between their check-ins so their baby's not confused and is getting reasonably frequent support and reassurance. But again, you're not going in so often that you're overstimulating baby. So those might be a couple of options that you consider in terms of sleep coaching methods if you're looking at removing overnight feeds when you're ready for that. And the last question for today, hey Erin, is it possible for babies to have an internal clock for waking up? My little one consistently wakes up at 5.30 a.m. regardless of how the day goes or what time she's put down for bed. She is nine and a half months old. Wake windows in the day are two and a half hours before her first nap, then three hours before the second nap and before bedtime. No sleep props, independent sleeper, blacked out room, sound machine. Is this just life from now on? That's what it says. Is this just life from now on? Not necessarily. It might be life for a little while. I would suggest that it's really normal for babies who are great sleepers, who sleep through the night to wake up and be ready to start their day anytime past 6 a.m. So if we are frequently, consistently getting very close to or past 6 a.m., I wouldn't suggest there's a lot going on in terms of scheduling that we can change to just get that extra little bit of time and consistently get always past 6 a.m. But I get it. I'm a parent. 5.30 feels pretty early. And sometimes there are some adjustments we can make. So with a child who is nine and a half months and consistently getting up around 5.30 in the morning, what we might consider, what we might consider, and it doesn't work for every child, is creating a little more of an enforced nap schedule in the day rather than necessarily going by wake windows. Anybody who follows us on Instagram or is an avid listener of this podcast is probably a little shocked right now because you know I'm the wake windows queen and I really generally focus on wake windows for children as long as they are on two or more naps in a day. And I don't really usually love a static schedule. But children get a little more resilient in their daytime schedule as they get older. And I do sometimes find that when we are around nine or 10 months and we're a really good sleeper and we have good naps, but we are consistently having a 5, 5.30 a.m. wake up, one way to get past this is sometimes with more of a static 9 a.m., 2 p.m. nap schedule. So instead of doing the two and a half hours before the first nap, the three hours to the second nap, and the three hours to bedtime, With an early waker at this age, we would just say nap one is at 9 a.m. Whether your baby woke up at 5, 5.30, quarter to 6, we're going to stretch them out and put them down for their first nap at 9 a.m. And then we're going to put your child down for their second nap at 2 p.m. And then we're going to put your child to bed three hours after they wake up from their second nap, but never earlier than 6 p.m. So I don't know if you have a pen and paper and you want to write that down, but that's something you might consider. And I wouldn't consider it earlier than nine months of age, but around nine or 10 months, if we're dealing with these early wakes, sometimes that can push the day forward a little bit and balance the day out a little bit so that we don't always have so much awake time before bedtime and an overtired baby at bedtime. If we can balance out the day so that the first nap happens at nine, we push and get the second nap to happen at two then generally a good sleeper is going to have their nap at two and nap until at least three or 3.30. Then if we do bedtime a few hours later, we've gotten to bedtime with an age appropriate amount of awake time before bed, which is about three hours for a nine month old. 
and then your baby's not overtired and hopefully that will help push the day forward, avoid bedtime overtiredness and push those mornings forward too. What this mom is probably experiencing is that her baby wakes up so early and then with the wake windows she's doing, her naps start so early in the day and end so early in the day that what she ends up with is this big bulky chunk of awake time after the second nap. So her baby is probably waking at 5.30, having a nap at 8.30, 9am until 10, 10.30, having another nap at like one o'clock in the afternoon that might only last until until 2 or 2.30 and then always having to go to bed at 6 p.m. and is overtired even at 6 p.m. because their naps ended so early in the day. So again, 9 a.m. and 2 p.m., this can help push the day forward, push the bedtime forward a little, but ensure baby's not overtired by bedtime and can sometimes help sort out those early morning wake-ups for this particular age. I know that one was a little bit specific and nuanced, but I know we have a lot of followers who are around this nine or 10 month mark and early morning wake-ups can be a bit of a stinker at this age. And this is one way that sometimes we can get around them. Those are the top five for the week. I hope there was something in there that you can pull out to help you with your own situation right now or that you can tuck into the back of your mind for future in case you run into some similar challenges with your babe as they grow. And I hope everyone has a great week. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.